Hey, good morning, Redemption Tempe. Good to see you all. My name is John Crawford. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is great to be with you. We're going to be trekking through the Gospel of John, continuing our series and the passage that you just heard read. Have you ever doubted your faith in Jesus? Have you ever doubted your faith in Jesus? A recent study done by the Barna Group shows that two-thirds of Christians actively doubt their faith at any given period of time. Seems like a lot, right? Two-thirds. But actually, I think there's another study out there somewhere that says one-third of people are liars. (laughs) Because when we talk about doubt, if we're just honest about doubt, It's something that probably every single one of us either has encountered in the past, is currently encountering and wrestling with right now, or will one day in the future deal with doubt. And so what do you do when you doubt? How do you deal with doubt? If you'll open your Bibles to John chapter 20, we're starting in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and I place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. The first thing we see in this passage is that Thomas is dealing with doubt. And Thomas shows us how to deal with doubt. Previously, the risen Jesus has shown up to the disciples. If you were here last week or if you heard the sermon, this is what Josh preached on last week, right? Jesus shows up to the disciples. They got to see the resurrected Jesus in the flesh. But Thomas wasn't there, right? We're all familiar with FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. For Thomas, he didn't have fear. The dude actually missed out, right? He really missed out. He overslept on a Sunday morning, didn't go to Sunday worship service with the disciples, and the risen Jesus showed up. Like, he missed out. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And so now, you know, after he hit the snooze button, he rolls out of bed and he shows up to the disciples, and then they tell him, hey, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And he's like, no way. I'm not falling for that. You guys are trying to pull one over on me, right? His buddies are trying to prank him. He's like, no, Jesus was crucified. He's dead. There is no way that Thomas is believing this. Thomas has legitimate doubt. So much so that the language that he uses is he says, I will never believe unless he won't ever believe that Jesus has risen unless 
his terms are met. Doubting Thomas. This is the nickname that Thomas receives throughout church history. And I think if we're honest, we can get down on Thomas, right? He's kind of like, ah, he's the doubting disciple. He's not the good disciple. But here's the thing. Thomas isn't a bad guy. He's not even a bad disciple. He actually is a model of how to deal with doubt. Something that probably every one of us here this morning is going to deal with in our lives. But for Thomas, his doubt is not coming from a place of disillusionment. He's not deconstructing his faith. That's not what Thomas is doing. Thomas is doubting because what he hears is too good to be true. This is too good to be true. He wants it to be true, actually. He wants Jesus to be alive again. He loved him. He deeply loved him. He was a committed follower of Jesus all the way until the end. But seeing Jesus be crucified crushed him. It crushed his hopes. And when your heart gets crushed, it's hard to hope again because you don't want to get let down. Thomas doesn't want to get let down. And so what does he do with his doubt? Well, Thomas doesn't stuff his doubt inside and pretend that it's not there in order to be a buttoned up good Christian. That's not what he does. He doesn't act like it's not there. He doesn't remain silent, but he vocalizes his doubt. He brings it out of the dark into the light. And where? Where does he bring his doubt? To the disciples, to the community of God's people. He doesn't disconnect himself from Christian community and go find a different community of other doubters and skeptics to go vent to. That's not what he does. He brings it to God's people because there is power in community when you are doubting. Seven years ago, my wife, Marika, was pregnant with our second child. And we were thrilled, very excited, right? We're gonna have another child. And so we were excited. We went to the doctor at 12 weeks for our first ultrasound and we could not wait to hear the heartbeat. And as the ultrasound tech is performing the ultrasound, she's having a hard time finding the heart, which began to make our hearts sink. Because Marike and I knew this wasn't the way that ultrasounds are supposed to go. Because with Wyatt, our oldest son, we had had ultrasounds, and so we knew what a normal ultrasound was like. And after Marika laid there on the table for several minutes more of silence, our child had no heartbeat. Miscarriage at 12 weeks. I will never forget that moment. 
Many of you can relate. I'll never forget that day, right? The hard punch in the gut that took my breath away. And that painful loss sent me into a season of doubt. God, where are you in the midst of this? God, you gave us a gift and you took it away. God, where is your goodness in all of this? Because it seems like you're absent. Doubt. But I wasn't doubting whether Christianity is true or not. I was doubting whether God is good. But something powerful happened. Marika and I brought our loss, our pain, our fear to our community. Community in this church, people from this church who wrapped around us, who cared for us, who loved us, who grieved with us, who prayed with us, who prayed for us. And in the midst of the season of doubt, I and we encountered Jesus. How? Through his people. Being his hands and feet, showing us his heart for us in the midst of our pain. Now, I'll just be honest. It preserved my faith. and after a period of time, brought me out of a season of doubt. Where do you go with your doubt? Because I know that there are people here today, for those of you here today, who honestly have doubt and are in the midst of it, you have valid reasons for your doubt based on your story. And one of my favorite things that I get to do as a pastor is I get to meet with people all the time and I love it. And I meet with many people who are doubting, who are going through it, who are asking all the same questions that I just shared that I asked. And what I have found is there are some common reasons why we doubt our faith in Jesus. The first is life circumstances. You begin to doubt because of your life circumstances that you are in a season of pain and suffering and it makes you ask questions about God. Or for many people, you're disappointed and you feel a deep disappointment with how your life has turned out, with where you are, with your career that you went to school for a long time for, with your marriage, you thought it would be different, or with your singleness, you thought you would be married by now, or you weren't able to have kids and you always wanted to be a parent, or with your kids who are grown up and now you're deeply disappointed because they've walked away from Jesus. Your disappointment leads to doubt many times. Or you've been betrayed. Betrayed by someone who was supposed to love you and be faithful to you, and yet now you experience deep betrayal. Circumstances. But another reason I found is that people have been wounded by the church. There are people who have legitimate church hurt from people in the past at their church, from Christian community, or even worse, from 
leaders. And I know that some of you have church hurt, and I want to say this to you. If you're here and you have wounds from the church, thank you for being here. You being here is actually a step of faith and trusting Jesus. Even if you feel like you're doubting everything, the fact that you would show up to a church, I want to thank you as a leader here. But the other reason that I found is that many people have heard scripture not only misinterpreted, but misapplied. They've received poor teaching, which then as they live their life, they they feel the disconnect from what they heard and how life is now. And they realize, man, I I don't believe that. That was actually harmful. And they question not only God's word, but they question God's character. Whatever your circumstances are that has led you to doubt, if you're doubting today, or if you have doubted in the past, or if, you're, if you haven't, but yet you know that it's probably coming at some point in your life, here's what you need to know. Hear me. Your biggest enemy is not your doubt, but it's where you go with it. Your biggest enemy is not your doubt, but it is where you go with it. And I want to encourage you this morning, don't keep your doubt in the dark. Bring it into the light. Be honest with God about it and be honest with God's people about it. You don't have to pretend like it's not there because you're trying to be a good Christian. Look at Thomas, a disciple. And please, I'm going to plead with you on this. Please don't run away from Christian community to a different community of doubters. Don't create a huddle of skeptics. I'm telling you, that will breed cynicism in your soul. It will only pour gasoline on the fire of your doubt, and it is the quickest way to burn down your faith in Jesus. I've seen it happen a ton of times, and I would be remiss if I did not say this. We have an enemy, his name is Satan, and he is real. And the very thing that he wants is to destroy your faith in Jesus. Please bring your doubt to Jesus. Bring it to this community here. It is safe. Bring it to the church. It is vital for your faith. That same Barna Group study that I referred to in the beginning. It's fascinating because that same study, the research that they found is that the vast majority of people actually make it through their season of doubt with stronger faith and more resilient faith. But here's the key that they found, especially when the person had Christian community to walk with them through their doubt. Thomas shows us how to deal with our doubt. But what happens with Thomas's doubt? Let's pick up here in verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then Thomas said, Oh, and then he said to Thomas, Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, Thomas, 
put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. The next thing we see in this passage is that Thomas is encountering Jesus. What has the power to change you is an encounter with the risen Jesus. It says eight days later here, but the way that they counted days at that time, it's actually exactly one week. And so one week later, Jesus now shows up to Thomas in the midst of his doubt. But how does he know what Thomas needs? John doesn't tell us explicitly in the passage, which leads us to think, hey, a few things could have happened. One is, well, Jesus has a resurrected body, and even though he wasn't there to hear Thomas's doubt, maybe, maybe he heard and maybe he knew, right? He's Jesus. But what if the community, the 10, the 10 disciples who know Thomas and love Thomas and have walked with him for the last few years who want him to believe, what if they begin praying for Thomas? What if they pray for Thomas that God would intervene and Jesus show up? Thomas doesn't believe. He didn't see you. The dude overslept. He hit his alarm clock and he missed you, Jesus. You've got to do something. Maybe. Or maybe the disciples just went straight to Jesus and they tracked him down and they said, Jesus, Jesus, you showed up to us, but Thomas wasn't there. And he's saying he's got turns. that He'll never believe in you unless you show up and you show him the marks. And he touches him. You've got to do something, Jesus. We don't know. John doesn't tell us. But something happens, right? Because Jesus now shows up and he knows exactly what Thomas needs. But why does Jesus show up again? He wants Thomas to believe. But more than that, he shows up again because he's patient with Thomas. He's patient with doubt, and he's gracious. He's so gracious that he would show up again, and he shows up again specifically for one man. He shows up specifically for Thomas and to give Thomas exactly what he said he needed. There's a painting that I love. It's called The Incredulity of St. Thomas by Caravaggio. It'll be on the screen here. Love this painting. This painting is a depiction of this very moment in the Gospel of John. I want to give you a moment just to look. And what do you notice? You don't have to tell me, but take it in. What do you notice? Jesus is meeting Thomas on his own terms of doubt. The very thing that he needs to believe, and Jesus is not only inviting Thomas, but you can see there that he's guiding Thomas, right? He's guiding his hand into the very place of his doubt. Verse 27, John tells us that Jesus says, Thomas, put your finger here. You can see Jesus is not only guiding Thomas, but he's actually pulling Thomas into his side, into his wounds, into the scars. 
It's as if Jesus is saying to Thomas, come and see. The thing that changed Thomas was encountering Jesus. And when he encounters Jesus, we see here that he confesses to Jesus. He says, my Lord and my God. Jesus can encounter you in the midst of your doubt. For those of you who are here today and you're dealing with doubt, Jesus wants you to have a fresh encounter with him so that you could experience his power and experience his love so that you would know that he is truly good and you could trust in his goodness. But see, some of you, when you doubt, some of you are going to resources. You're running to resources. You're reading a bunch of books. You're listening to a bunch of podcasts. You're watching a bunch of YouTube videos. And hear me, those things can be good. But every single one of those things lacks the transformative power of the risen Jesus. You can have all of the information in the world about the risen Jesus and still not encounter him. An encounter with Jesus is what changes you. But maybe you're afraid that your doubts are just too big for him. He's not scared of it. He is big enough for your doubts. And he's big enough to encounter you in the midst of your doubt. Jesus knows exactly what you need. Just like Thomas. And here's the even crazier thing. He actually understands and knows your doubts better than you do. That's what's crazy. And yet, he's patient with you. He's patient with the doubter. He wants to meet you where you are in the midst of your questions, your pain, your circumstances, in order to prove his steadfast love and faithfulness to you. What I want you to do is look at this painting again. It'll be back on the screen. Look at the surprise on Thomas's face. It's as if Thomas, in that moment, if we can imagine him encountering Jesus, it's as if he's like, whoa, Jesus actually did show up for me. He showed up to encounter me. And Thomas knows the only reason why Jesus did it was for him. And so Thomas is surprised. Can you imagine the moment and the amount of shock and surprise that Thomas would feel? But I wonder, are you willing to be surprised in the midst of your doubt? Are you willing to be surprised in the midst of your doubt because Jesus wants to meet you personally so that you can experience his tender care for you just like Thomas? He is the God who surprises and so what is the result of Thomas's encounter with Jesus? Pick up here in verse 29. So Thomas answers, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The last thing we see in this passage today is confident worship. Jesus can turn your doubt and turn it into confident worship. He can take your doubt and turn it into confident worship. And so Thomas says, my Lord and my God, when he sees Jesus. The disciple with the biggest doubt has the boldest profession of faith. And some of you are here this morning thinking that God can't use you because of your doubt and actually your future leaders in God's kingdom. The fascinating thing about this profession of faith is that it is the boldest profession of faith that we see in the entire, uh, entirety of Jesus' kingdom ministry in all four of the gospels in the New Testament. Usually when someone encounters Jesus, they say, teacher, master, Messiah. But Thomas is the only person to say, my Lord. That word Lord is the same word for Yahweh. Thomas is saying, Jesus, you are Yahweh. You are God. Jesus, you are God. And you're not just God of all creation, but what does he say? He says, you are my God. Thomas moves from doubt to confident worship. And now John tells us, he says, hey, you want to know the whole reason why I wrote the gospel of John? Whoop, almost just dropped my Bible. That'd be bad. Um, He's like, hey, you want to know the whole reason why I wrote the entirety of this book, the gospel of John? Let me tell you the reason. He says, the whole reason why I wrote this is so that you would believe and that you would have life in his name. Because John knows something. There is a Thomas in every single one of us. We are Thomas. And John wants us to follow Thomas's trajectory. He wants us to follow in Thomas's footsteps, his path. He wants us to move from belief to unbelief. He wants us to move from our doubt that our doubt would turn into trust. This is why John records Jesus's very words, where Jesus says, blessed are those who don't see like Thomas, but yet still believe. He wants us to believe. But what does it mean to believe in Jesus? I think for a lot of us, our default is that we go to thinking. Believing is thinking, right? It's this intellectual exercise or it's intellectual assent that in order to believe, I've got to have the head knowledge and just think, right? That's belief, partially, but belief is not solely cognitive. Believing is trusting. Believing in Jesus is trusting Jesus, and trust is relational. John wants you 
to trust Jesus. Not just to trust that Christianity is true, but to trust that he is good. So that you would experience the goodness of life in his name as you live in relationship with him. Thomas trusted Jesus and it changed him. After this encounter that we read, church tradition tells us that Thomas is the one who carried the gospel to India, the first person to take the good news of Jesus to India. And he carries the gospel to India, but he takes it all the way to the western coast of India, to the Malabar coast. And it's on the Malabar coast where, uh, where Thomas establishes the first church in all of India in 52 AD. From there, he builds seven churches in the course of his life. Today, there are still a large population of Christians who call themselves Christians of St. Thomas. There's a picture on the screen here. This is people worshiping Jesus who are on that Malabar coast who identify as Christians of St. Thomas worshiping today. And what I love, there's a really powerful detail in this image. If you look at the front of the sanctuary towards the ceiling, there are four words. It says, my Lord, my God. The very profession of faith that Thomas has upon encountering Jesus has led countless numbers of people to encounter the very presence and power of Jesus in India. Thomas lived the rest of his life and served in India, and eventually he was martyred. He was killed for his faith. He was actually killed while he was praying. The disciple who doubted died in a posture of trusting Jesus. Jesus can take your most difficult doubts and turn it into confident worship, church. This is what he's famous for doing. It's what he's done all throughout history is take doubt and turn it into confident worship. It's what he does with doubting Thomas, who has turned missionary martyr. It's what he did with Saul, the persecutor of the church, turned into the Apostle Paul who wrote much of the New Testament for us. It's what he's done with the most bold and skeptical atheist turned into emboldened evangelists with people like C.S. Lewis, one of the most prolific Christian writers throughout history, right? This is the thing that Jesus has always done. He turns doubt, he takes doubt and turns it to confident worship. And today, for you, Jesus is inviting you to honestly bring your doubt before him. And there's an opportunity this morning that's a little bit different. In a minute here, um, what I want to encourage you to do is we have put connect cards in all of the chairs. Um, there's not a holder in every single chair. So there, the ones where there are, it's loaded up with a bunch of connect cards for people. Um, but what I want to invite you to do is to take one of those connect cards. 
And I want to invite you to write down your honest doubt. It can be a word, it can be a phrase, it can be a sentence or a couple sentences. But what is your honest doubt? And as we come to communion in a minute, I want to invite you to bring your doubt to Jesus. To bring your doubt with you as you come to the communion table. At these four tables, there is a small wicker basket. Drop that card with your doubt in that basket. Give it to Jesus as you receive communion. One of the things that our staff is going to do this week is we are going to pray through every one of those cards. We're going to pray for you in the midst of your doubt. We're going to pray that Jesus would meet you in the midst of that and that you would know that the church is wrapping around you in whatever it may be. And so this morning, the invitation is to draw close to Jesus. And you can draw close to Jesus through his wounds. His wounds provide a way. His wounds from crucifixion that turned into scars in the resurrection enable you to draw near to him because he is alive. And so as we come to communion this morning, the bread and the wine are the wound in his side, his body given and his blood shed for our sin so that we could have life in his name. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good to us. And Jesus, we sit here as your people because you encountered us at some point in time in our lives and you gave us the gift of faith. And Jesus, I wanna pray for those who are wrestling with doubt, who are going through it, Lord, who have questions and maybe they haven't even vocalized them, but they've been stuffing it. Jesus, I pray that they would hear your invitation this morning and to know that you're big enough, to know that you're patient enough, to know that you want to meet people in the midst of whatever they're going through. And for those who are here who have honest doubts, and maybe they have not yet ever believed in you, Jesus, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them, that you are not only true, but you are good. Jesus, you are so kind to us, and we thank you that the very thing that we need, an encounter with you, Jesus, you are so willing to meet us in it and that you take our doubt and you turn it into confident worship. And so now as we respond to this good news, Jesus, I pray that we would worship you in confidence because you are good. It's in your name, amen. And so before we start singing, we're gonna give you a few moments to write down on one of those connect cards your doubt. And then as you come to the communion table, go ahead and drop that. And what you're doing is you're bringing it to Jesus. And I wanna invite you to, if you want to receive prayer, if you're going through anything, you need to be prayed for, you, anything. Do you even wanna celebrate something? But if you're wrestling through doubt, come, receive prayer. We wanna pray with you. And so at this time, we're gonna respond.